Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. Third week of Advent, which is a season of waiting. And if you've ever waited for something, you know that a major part of waiting is paying attention. Uh, when my kids are waiting for their grandparents to come and, uh, and to arrive, they're paying attention to every single sound that they hear uh, outside. That's a key part of waiting is paying attention. And so this Advent, we're trying to pay closer attention to Jesus, to his past work, to his future coming, to his presence today in our life. And, uh, uh, and if we don't follow Jesus and you're here with us, uh, we're paying attention to who Jesus really is this Advent season and what it might look like to begin following him in this life. Uh, so we're paying attention to Jesus. That's our theme for Advent. Um, and there's actually a biblical word for this, paying attention. And the word in the Bible is behold. The past two weeks, we've looked at passages in our Bible that have us behold Jesus. And this week is no different. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. We read uh, in the service what just happened before the passage we're about to read, where John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And so in verse 35, we pick things up on the next day. And so here John once again tells us to behold Jesus, Jesus uh, uh, as the Lamb of God. And so what is that about and why does John uh, tell us to do that? Let's read and we'll pray and we'll dig in and see what God has to say for us this morning. So once again, chapter 1, starting in verse 35. This is the Word of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him saying this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Lord, with the words in my mouth... And with the meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Holy Spirit, come. I need you. We need you. We need you to open the eyes of our hearts. We need you to comfort us. We need you to convict us. Do not leave us alone, Holy Spirit. Come now and come in power. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, so I am here to tell you that puppy training is hard. Those of you who've done it probably are laughing right now. Apparently, puppies are not pre-programmed to pay attention to us. Um, turns out you have to work on this. You have to work on this over and over and over again. And one of the ways that I'm working on this with our dog, Dewey, is by slowly training him to look at my eyes. Not the treat, but my eyes. Too often, Dewey just looks at the treat and not my eyes. But I'm training him to look at my eyes. And frankly, it's going pretty well. It's going okay, so long as there are no distractions in the house. And so long as it's inside and not outside where there are all kinds of distractions. Why? Because it's hard to get his eyes when there are so many distractions around him. Have you ever been to Champs at the Linux Center? Uh, when my folks uh, would come, would visit our church on Sunday, uh, we would often eat at Champs afterwards. But it was practically impossible to look at them in the eyes. And you probably know why, because there's literally a hundred screens surrounding you when you're eating at Champs. There's not a single square inch of wall that isn't covered with a flat screen TV. And I've said this before, but life these days often feels like a meal at Champs. There's so many distractions. It's getting harder and harder to pay attention to the relationships in your life. It's getting harder and harder to to give people your eyes even. Even your closest relationships. I'm seeing it in my life, even with my family, even with God himself. It's hard to give him my eyes. And you would think that during the pandemic, I'd be able to pay better attention to my relationships. Because less distraction, right? But the opposite has happened. During the pandemic, I have been more distracted than ever. In fact, I was just talking to some friends about this a couple days ago. And if you're listening in, you you know what I'm talking about. We were all talking about how hard it has been to pay attention to those who live in our homes, even though we are spending unprecedented amounts of time with them. Uh, I'll call it the pandemic paradox. Quantity of time spent, even proximity to other people, does not equal quality of time spent, especially when we're so distracted by our news, by our phones, by our fears. And so I want to ask you, like, what is distracting you these days? Are they external distractions like work stress? Is it the news? Is it the uncertainty of what's ahead? Is it your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed? Or is it internal distractions? Is it your, your fears, your, your anxieties, your fantasies? Is it, is it both? What are you distracted by? My theory is that in the absence of the normal distractions of life, and I air quote the normal distractions of life, the things that we've gotten used to over the years and decades, in the absence of those kind of everyday distractions, what we're doing right now is creating our own. We're, we're, we're creating our own. We're numbing out to Netflix. We're numbing out uh, on our phones. We're doom scrolling on our phones. We're, we're losing ourselves in sports or we're losing ourselves into work. We're finding different kinds of work that we can uh, put ourselves to. Or maybe we buy a puppy, you know? There's all kinds of ways we're pursuing distraction. The point is we are more distracted than ever. And so what we need most right now is to focus our attention on something that will settle our souls. 
that will feed our souls, that will fill our souls so that we can love others well. We become what we pay attention to. In other words, we become what we behold. And this, of course, is where John the Baptist steps in. He tells us to behold Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus. These two words, behold Jesus, is really John's entire ministry. If if John had a website and a blog, his about me page would say, Hi, I'm John the Baptist. I tell people to behold Jesus. That's what he's all about. But why is he all about that? And you might be asking yourself that even this morning. When there's so many other religions out there uh, that are cool and that are hip, there, uh, there's so many um, other versions of the good life uh, out there. And when these versions of the good life uh, seem so life-giving and fresh, uh, why would we give our attention to Jesus? Maybe that's your question this morning. Why Jesus? Well, this passage would give us three reasons to pay attention to Jesus, to look only to him in this life of distraction. And the first reason is because Jesus answers your deepest problem. Only Jesus answers your deepest problem. Your deepest problem is sin. No other problem in life compares to this basic problem. Sin is our basic disposition to reject God and his good ways. In other words, the root of all of our problems in this life is rejection. Rejection of the living God. And when we withhold our love, when we withhold our trust, when we withhold our obedience to the true triune God, and instead give our love, give our trust, and give our obedience to anything else, good or bad, secular or religious, that is what the Bible calls sin. It's rejection against God. It's rebellion against God. It's choosing other things besides God. See, we are designed to have the triune God at the center of our orbit. We are meant to orbit around God and his glory. But our sin problem, what it does is it puts anything else in the center of our orbit but God. We pretend that we can do that. And usually that anything else is ourselves. We put ourselves and we add, if, you know, sometimes if we're religious, we add God to the orbit. But God is not the center. We add Jesus to our good life ideas. But he's not the center. He's not defining our life. He's not the core of our life. And that's what the Bible calls sin. And that's no small thing. The Bible never domesticates Sin. It never characterizes our sin as an issue to just iron out with some self-care. And listen, I'm all about self-care for the sake of loving others well. But sin is a much deeper issue. It's in fact the biggest problem in life. The Bible says the wages of sin is 
death. In other words, we earn like a wage death with our sin. With our sin. And not just physical death, though that's awful enough, but spiritual death. I can't, I can't think of a single greater problem than physical and spiritual death. Not to mention all the ways that sin vandalizes this good world that God made. G.K. Chesterton famously answered the question, what's wrong with the world today? With, dear sirs, I am. Yours, G.K. Chesterton. Sin is our deepest problem. It, it, it divides us from God eternally. It divides us from others. It alienates us even from ourselves so that we are enslaved and addicted and, and, and walking around uh, without our true self in Christ. And so it is our deepest problem. And maybe all you need to hear this morning is that we need to remind ourselves sin is a serious issue. And so when John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God in verse 36, he's basically saying, pay attention to Jesus because Jesus is God's Lamb, because he alone can take care of sin. How so? The Lamb of God has two meanings. The Lamb of God is is victorious, and the Lamb of God is vicarious. And I want to explain what both of those mean. First, Jesus takes care of sin because he is the victorious Lamb. The victorious Lamb. There was in John's time a Jewish expectation for a Messiah to come, a figure to come, like a conquering Lamb. I know that's hard to believe because lambs are so cute. Uh, But listen to the Testament of Joseph. This was a a religious text that was circling around in John's time. I'm quoting. And I saw a lamb, and a lamb, a lamb, and on his left hand there was, as it were, a lion. And all the beasts rushed against him. And listen, the lamb overcame them, this text says, and destroyed them, and trod them underfoot, the lamb. The lamb is a, is a victorious lamb, a conquering lamb. And this is likely what John the Baptist uh, meant when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, up here in verse 29. The phrase, who takes away the sins of the world, means just that. This lamb will somehow take away sin. John saw Jesus as first mainly in terms of judgment. And we know this because John had trouble wrapping his mind around the sufferings of Jesus. Because John, early on, as he was getting to know this Messiah, uh, saw the the, the conquering uh, lamb, the victorious lamb. And that, of course, is true. Jesus is uh, victorious. Jesus will one day judge sin. I mean, just read in Revelation uh, where Jesus is described in the same victorious lamb imagery that you just heard. And take it all the way to the new heavens, new earth, where only righteousness will dwell. Why will it be that only righteousness will dwell in the new heavens and new earth? Because the victorious lamb will take away all sin. He's the victorious lamb, but he's also the vicarious lamb. And I I want you to hear this as well. Vicarious means to die in place of. Here's the thing. In Revelation, John shows us that the victorious lamb is also the vicarious lamb. Both are married in scripture. 
Yes, Jesus will judge sin in his second advent. But in his first advent, the judge became judged. (laughs) As it's been said, the lamb who conquers is also the lamb who suffered and died in our place. So Revelation 17, 14 talks about the lamb who is victorious. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. Okay, that's the victorious lamb. But this victorious lamb is also a vicarious lamb. Revelation 5, 6 says, I saw the lamb standing as though it had been slain. As though it had been slain. It's likely John the Baptist saw primarily a victorious lamb in Jesus. But in light of the cross, we know that Jesus is also a vicarious lamb who paid the penalty for our sin. Like the horned lamb that was caught in the thickets who died in the place of Isaac, Jesus is the true lamb of God who dies in our place. That's what vicarious means. This was predicted by the prophet Isaiah. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. That's sin. And the Lord has laid on him Messiah, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. The shepherd became a sheep, a lamb, who died in your place. See, Jesus died the death that we deserve to die because of our sin. He alone answers the deepest problem that we have, our sin problem. Years ago, um, I was working at the Grandview Public Library, which I like to do. And every day there's a bucket in the middle of my study room. This is about a year and a half ago. Because right above that bucket, if you looked up, there was a leak, a water leak. And this bucket was reliably in the middle of this room for, it seemed like, weeks. I was just getting used to it. Until one day, a massive construction crew pulls into the parking lot, uh, shows up, tears off the entire roof, disrupts the entire library vibe that I loved. Um, And this was a super long, months-long effort. And I'm sure it was terribly expensive, which is why they had the bucket for so long. But it had to be done. It had to be done. See, the bucket was a surface solution. And we all have surface solutions uh, to our sin, don't we? Uh, We promise to do better next time. We volunteer at church. We think the right thoughts. We support the right causes. All of these things are good things. But like the bucket, they don't answer the deepest problem. They don't answer the deepest problem. There's still a broken roof. There's still a broken roof. So behold Jesus, the Lamb of God. That's what we do. The spotless Lamb of God, who alone can take care of your sin problem. As vicarious Lamb of God, He lived the life you were supposed to live uh, for you. Jesus died the death that we, er- that we earned as a wage. The death that we earned as a wage for your sin. He did this for you. He died in your place. And then as victorious Lamb of God, Jesus rescues us from addiction. He makes you alive in your true self in Christ. He defeats his and your enemies. Uh, Death included. Death, the final enemy. The poet John Donne is right. Death, thou shalt die. Why? The victorious Lamb 
So why Jesus? Jesus alone answers your sin problem. All other visions of the good life do not answer the sin problem. So I urge you to behold Jesus, the Lamb of God. There's another reason why we ought to behold Jesus as the Lamb of God. Um, it's, it's, it's not only because he answers our deepest problem, but he answers our deepest longings. In other words, Jesus not only fulfills a negative need, taking care of our sin debt, but he also fulfills a glorious positive need, giving us the abundant life, making us who we were created to be before sin jacked it all up. Okay, I see in this passage three statements of Jesus that talk about how Jesus answers our deepest longings. Maybe they're highlighted in red in your particular Bible. These are three statements of Jesus in our, in, our, in our text. And the first one is, what are you seeking? These words of Jesus are the first recorded words in John's Gospel of Jesus. And he asks the question, what are you seeking? In verse 38, these two disciples of John the Baptist were magnetized to Jesus. These two disciples of John started following Jesus. Now, don't read too much into that word follow. Um, they were literally just following him. They were curious. They were uh, attracted to Jesus. They were compelled by Jesus. They were frankly listening to John, uh, who was their teacher, saying, Behold him. Look at him. Look at the Lamb of God. I call this, what we see with these two disciples, I call it holy curiosity. To this holy curiosity, Jesus turns to them and he asks them, what are you seeking? Don't you love this question? It's like the question of all questions. Uh, what are you seeking when you come to Jesus? What are you looking for? Let's get personal. Uh, what are you seeking this morning? Just sit with that question for a minute. You logged into this live stream. What are you seeking in it? What are you looking for? I'm not asking. Jesus is asking. What are you seeking? This is such an important question. Such a searching question. Because too often we use Jesus for something else, don't we? Jesus is too often a means to another end. But it's also a loving question. Because in it, Jesus is inviting you to end your search with him. We are all searching for something to satisfy us, to satisfy our deepest longings. C.S. Lewis said that our physical hunger points to food and our spiritual searching points to the reality of Jesus. He alone is what all of your searching Ends in. He is what you're looking for. He alone. Not what he can give you. Jesus is the prize. What are you seeking when you seek Jesus? But that's not all Jesus says in this passage. He also says, come and you will see. Come and you will see. He says that in verse 39. Come and you will see. Uh, this is after the two disciples ask him, where are you staying? 
Where are you staying? And Jesus is, uh, his response is amazing. Yet again, he basically invites them into the beginnings of a discipleship relationship. Uh, Come and you will see. This isn't a full-blown commitment, but an invitation to try on life with Jesus at the center. Jesus invites you on a journey to walk with him. To come and to see for yourself why Jesus is the answer to all of your longings. Come and you shall see. And then the last thing that Jesus says is, you shall be called Peter. He's saying this to Andrew's brother. See, Andrew, after he uh, encountered Jesus, he ran home and he told his brother Simon about Jesus. And Jesus looks into Simon and renames him Peter, which means Rocky, essentially. Um, I find this name amazing, Rocky, because Rocky perfectly describes Peter. Uh, He is rough. He's rough on the edges like a rock, but he's also one of the foundational apostles of the church. We are not Peter, but like him, Jesus looks deep into us and gives us a new name. He knows us so deeply. Revelation 2.17, listen to this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, an Old Testament um, image of provision. And I will give him a white stone with a name, a new name, written on the stone that no one knows except the ones who receive it. I love Pastor Scotty Smith when he says, Whether or not there's literally a new name Jesus will give us in heaven, I am not sure. But it's enough that he look at us today and address us as beloved, mine, desired. I'm so grateful for the power of the gospel to rename, renew, and release us from old destructive labels including the crippling ones we've given ourselves. That's what he says, and I love that. What are those old destructive labels that you are continually placing on you? Jesus gives you a new name. He looks at you and he knows you deeply, better than you know yourself, and yet he loves you. He loves you and he renames you. Only Jesus answers our deepest longings. He is the end to our searching. He's the answer to our calling. And he's the one who knows us inside and out and yet still loves us to that same degree of knowledge. Um, My wife and I, we love to send our boys to a summer camp called Summer's Best Two Weeks. Uh, Josie actually worked at this camp as a counselor while in college. And while we were dating um, at the time, uh, she would tell me that most of the other counselors, a lot of them were college level athletes who got injured at some point in their careers. And she noticed the theme and she shared it with me. It was often their injury that brought them to Jesus. They recognized that Jesus was what they were really searching for in their sports. And they couldn't see it until they were injured. This Advent is a season of injury, isn't it? The world... Our world has been injured. But it's this injured world by our sin that Jesus enters. That's Athens. 
And so what if during this time we didn't distract ourselves, but paid attention to Jesus? What if uh, we discover that he is all that we need? What if we discover that Jesus answers not only our biggest problem, but our deepest longings? Is that you today? Well, the way you know is that you will have a sudden urge to tell everyone you know about Jesus. That's what happened to Andrew. Andrew ran and told his brother, Jesus is so sweet that your heart sings. And then all you want to do is, is, is you want others to join you in that song. Your love for him overflows. Well, Jesus is all of that for you. Will you behold him? Will you pay attention? Are you paying attention? Lord, we do come to you and we set our eyes on you in this world of distraction. Distractions imposed on us that we wish would go away and distractions that we ourselves put into our lives to numb out. We look, we give you our eyes, we give you our ears. And in this Advent, we ask that you would answer our deepest problem, and our deepest longing. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.